you know, there, uh, I was informed that there's wagers taking on how long I'll preach today. Uh, and I, I said, uh, I might just go 60 just to, just to do it. Uh, the goal is to, is to be a little shorter um, for the sake of the kids and maybe more so for mom and dad. Uh, the Lord is good, though. I'm going to be in a multiple different passages this morning. I'm going to be in Hebrews 11. We'll be in Hebrews 12. We're going to be in John and Second uh, Corinthians. So those are going to be our, kind of our four passages that we're going to bounce around a little bit. Um, let me start off with this. Um, Christmas is such a special time. Uh, it's a unique time. It's it's special certainly to to Christians, but it's also a special time to many people, whether they understand Christmas or not, or they have the right reasons, uh, it's still generally a unique time of the year. As I was driving with my family this morning on the way to church, I noticed all of the parking lots empty, with the exception of the hospital. Uh, And our culture today still values something about this time of the year. There's more talk, at least on the surface, there's more talk about something beyond ourselves. Certainly the idea of giving gifts is present, but there's also a general sense of hopefulness. And hope in something, again, beyond ourselves. Now people are going to define that in a lot of different ways, and I think many or most of them being wrong, but nevertheless there's still a sense of hopefulness, there's still a sense of peace that's, that's coming or is, is out there to be had, and it's got to come from someplace other than ourselves. There is a sense of faith in something or someone beyond ourselves. You know, faith is probably the most powerful aspect of our created beings, and is also probably the most misunderstood and underrealized gifts of the Father. You see, faith is not just something that's elusive, or some sort of mystical adventure, or some even little set of beliefs to have, although those are parts of it. Instead, Hebrews 11.1 says this, that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. But you see, that kind of lies, kind of clues us into our struggle with faith. And that is, I think in general, we are what I would call sight people. we got to see it to believe it. Unless it comes from a news source, you know, then we happen to believe anything that's written on paper. But like Thomas, our faith, like Thomas, our faith is weak at best. And we have to see with our own eyes. It's hard for us to just trust. We say that we trust God, that we have faith in God. But when we look at the horizontal, the places where God's given us opportunity to exercise faith and trust and dependence, 
it seems to be lacking. And not only are we sight people in general, but we're also people who misplace the little faith that we do have. We, like Adam and Eve, I think exchange faith, trust, and hope in the good Father for faith, trust, and hope in other things, particularly ourselves. We want the glory pie, if you will, for ourselves. We want a bigger slice of the pie of what it looks like to be the dependable one. To be the one who, who is, we're able to place our faith in. We trust ourselves to make sure things go right. We're all the time redefining what is acceptable living in order to accommodate our own vision of righteousness. We oftentimes look at our spouses, our leaders, our church, our kids with critical eyes. Surely the only one who can be trusted is me. We think so highly often of ourselves. We have misplaced faith. I think oftentimes we, we want to take this idea of faith and, and have it ultimately wrapped into ourselves because of this glory thing and because we, we want to be made much of. I, I like this quote from Jonathan Edwards in Religious Affections and his treatise on the Religious Affections. He says this, True saints have their minds in the first place inexpressibly pleased and delight with the sweet ideas of the glorious and amiable nature of the things of God. And this is the spring of all their delights and the cream of all their pleasures. But the dependence of the affections of hypocrites is in a contrary order. They first rejoice that they are made so much of by God. And then on that ground, God seems in a sort lovely to them. So not only we sight people, but we're misplaced faith people. The weak faith that we do have, we want to aim it at the wrong things, and oftentimes ourselves. For many of us in this room, even on Christmas Day, if there is any day of the year that displays the aim of our faith or the strength of our faith, it's Christmas Day. It's this moment right now. It's sitting around the tree giving gifts that it shows where are our affections? Where is our faith? You see, for many of us, as we sit around in the room giving gifts, Jesus seems in a sort lovely to you. Your faith and trust in the Lord lingers here and there, but for just a few moments. That's kind of how life is. That Jesus kind of seems lovely to you for a few fleeting moments here and a few fleeting moments there. Grand thoughts of praise for His glory venture across the palate of your heart, but for a few wonderful moments. But this is not the sort of faith that we were redeemed to. This is not the sort of faith 
that we are called to imitate. This is not the kind of faith that Jesus had. His faith was not fleeting for moments here and there. His faith was not something to be enjoyed at this moment and then to be left behind for a few days and enjoyed the next moment. His, the kind of faith that Jesus has is not the kind of faith where we sit around and give gifts as awesome and as lovely as that is and our enjoyment and treasuring of the Father is a distant thought. You see, Jesus, the Bible tells us, is the author and the champion of faith. He's the author and the champion of faith. You know, I'm kind of throwing around a few words here, dependence, trust, faith. They're, they're very tightly connected. Like you don't depend on something that you have no faith in. You don't depend on something that you have no trust in. You see, you believe that something is trustworthy. You have faith that it is trustworthy, and so you therefore depend on it. I want to give you a few notes as we think about Jesus as the author and, and the, the champion of faith. You see, Jesus depended. We have evidence in the Scriptures of Jesus both depending explicitly on the Father and Him depending Im- implicitly on the Father. For the sake of our time, a couple examples of Him depending explicitly on the Father. You certainly see that first in His dependency displayed in the Incarnation. I mean, think about the, the measure of faith that Jesus had to have in His Father before the Incarnation to therefore submit to the Father in coming to this earth. You see, we, we got different pictures of, well, God had this plan and, and of wrath and justice, and then Jesus is like, oh, but send me. And so, no, no, no. The, all the plan was wrapped up in the Father. All the plan. And he says to his son, I want you to go. The kind of faith that Jesus had, there was no lingering moment of doubt. Are you sure, Father? Like, are you, are you, you really want me to go? Like, I think it's very clear if we understand that Jesus presented in the scriptures that he would have certainly, yes, Father, I trust you. I have faith in you. I can depend on you. Even in that state, right? So pre-incarnation, Jesus understands that when he takes on the flesh, that then all of his glory of his divinity is going to be veiled. It's going to be concealed. We talk about in the kenosis. It's going to be kind of hidden from him. And so he's going to have to, in those moments, depend on the Father. He's going to have to depend on the writings, the self-revelation of the Father in the Scriptures. He's going to have to depend on the work of the Spirit. He knows this, and he comes. Another example of Jesus' declaration, his explicit declaration of his complete dependence on the Father. Jesus says this in John 5, verse 19. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does... That the Son does likewise. 
What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm dependent on the Father. I have faith in the Father so much that I don't do anything except that which the Father does. My faith in Him is so strong. My trust in the Lord is so strong that I do not do anything except what He does. You see, Jesus is the author of faith. Hebrews 12.2 tells us this. I'm going to read actually from the New American Standard Version here. I think it translates this a little bit better. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You might ask why the NASB versus the ESV, they they leave out our faith, perfecter of our faith. I don't think that R should be there. It's, it's the perfecter of faith. Like he is the embodiment, the perfect expression of faith. I don't want to get too nerdy here on you, but Thomas Aquinas and other Catholic scholars and, and others outside of Catholic tradition, have, but Thomas Aquinas particularly is famous for, for proposing this idea that Jesus actually in the cradle had the perfect vision and full vision of the glory of the Father. And that because of that, there was no need for faith because Jesus could simply live by sight. Now that's crazy. Because then Hebrews tells us he's the author and perfecter of faith. But how could he be the author and perfecter of faith if he never lived by faith, but instead lived by sight? So that's why, that's why doctrine and, and what we believe concerning the divinity and the kenosis and, and the incarnation and, and how all that works together, that's why it's so important because how does it fit together with a passage like Hebrews 12 where he is the, he is the beginner, he is the writer, he is the, cre- he is the author of this faith. Hebrews presents him as such. I believe Jesus learns and grows in what he knows about the Father. We see this. It talks about him growing in wisdom and how he astounded the teachers even at age 12. But his response is also in faith as he grows in what he knows about the Father. He doesn't doubt the Father. He trusts him. As he's reading him, and remember, he's reading from the Old Testament. As he reads about the Father, he trusts him. He has faith in him. Even though he, in his humanity, has not seen the Father, he hopes in the Father. But not only is he the author, but it says he is the perfecter of faith. I think a helpful word of kind of helping us see, what does he mean? He's the champion of faith. I mean, he perfects it. He does it. He wins he, he, he concludes, and that concludes, but he, he I'll, just, I'll just read what I have in my notes. One author said this, Jesus is the champion in the exercise of faith, and one who brought faith to complete expression. Utter, complete faith. No faith lacking. We have weak faith. He has the full and complete expression of faith. But faith in what? So Jesus shows us perfectly, hear me, perfectly what it looks like to live in covenant with God. 
perfectly. Adam and Eve doubted the Father. Their faith in the Father was less than what it should have been. And so they eat of the tree. They choose to worship themselves. But in Jesus, he shows us perfectly what this looks like. You see, the fidelity and trust that Jesus himself exhibits, he does so in a full and complete way. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of faith. See, Jesus knew the Father through the Scriptures. He trusted every word that the Father had said concerning himself. What was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing? You see, he was grasping beyond anything else as he learned and trusted the Father. He was grasping more than anything else the gloriousness of his Father. He was grabbing a hold. He was grabbing a hold by faith Grabbing hold with his mind and his heart the weightiness of his father's being. And he was captivated by it. By faith, Jesus was, as we, the phrase common in the church was, beholding the glory of God. By faith, he was beholding the glory of his father. He was captivated by it. He was, as he grew in grasping it, understanding it, continually and increasingly held on to him. He was captivated by the glory of his Father. And because Jesus beheld the glory of the Father, because he was understanding and his affections pulsed deeply for the glory of his Father, he lived the life then that you and I could not live apart from him. Because in every moment, what is more weighty to Jesus is the glory of God. In every moment, in every decision, That's more weighty than self-promotion. That was more weighty than affirmation of other people. It was more weighty than him having control. It was more weighty than anything that he experienced as a man. You see, because of these things, because of the fact that he is the author of faith and the champion of faith, we can look to Jesus as the one who enables our faith. He's the one that makes it possible. He's the one we can look to and go, okay, that's what it looks like. And I am possible because of the work of Jesus, I can have this faith too. See, he shows us, listen, he shows us that a man can indeed depend wholly on the Father. That he is indeed trustworthy. He shows us that the Father is completely and utterly trustworthy. He is worthy of all faith. Jesus showed the world that the Father really does mean what he says. That he really does keep his promises. That he really is who he says he is. He shows us, Jesus shows us that the Father is indeed glory worth 
beholding. See, we look to the one, we look to Jesus as the one who enables our faith, but we also look to Jesus as the model of faith, the how-to, what it looks like to completely trust and submit to the Father. You see, Jesus can speak as an insider about faith and as one who wants to share it with others. So as we've been working through this idea of imitating Christ, the imitatio Christi, the imitation of Jesus Christ. We talked about how we must begin with the humility, the humble need for a Savior, the brokenness of our existence, and the rescuing work of redemption. We must recognize the powerful working independence on the Spirit. We talked about that last week. That we need God to supernaturally work both in initial faith and the continued growth of that faith. See, Jesus depended on the Spirit for His work. He lived in the power of the Spirit. But what did the Spirit enable? What, what, what's at the root of the Spirit's enabling, empowering work? It's the bringing about of faith. It's the, it's the enabling in Jesus the ability, the strength to, to say, I trust you, Father. Jesus grasped the weight of God's glory in increasing measure as he studied the word and believed what God had said about himself. See, this too is a part of the imitation of Jesus. We too can and must live by this faith. We must, by the power of the Spirit, grasp the glory of God in increasing measure by faith. As we do this, all of life is transformed. All of life is true. Our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, the way we treat people, the way we treat ourselves, it's all transformed. Listen to John 1.14, as I read earlier. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. I mean, think about that sentence alone. Yes, Christmas is about the gift of Jesus. Christmas is about peace come to earth. Yes, Christmas is about Jesus being flesh and earning our righteousness. And yes, Christmas is about Jesus becoming our high priest. But Christmas is also about beholding the glory of the Father in the Son made flesh. Christmas is about beholding the glory of the Father in the Son made flesh. Guys, listen, Christmas is about grasping with your heart and with your mind the glory of the Father made visible in His Son, Jesus Christ. It's about the glory of the Father manifested in Jesus before our very eyes. It's about the God of justice and peace, of love and mercy, the God of grace for our very souls to behold. You want to know what it means to imitate Jesus? What it looks like to live like He did? At the very least, we should stop fighting for and grasping for our own glory. 
Stop trying to justify our own sin. Stop trying to earn our own righteousness. Stop trying to prove ourselves. Stop trying to find our value in work or the thoughts of others. Stop trying to control things to make our kingdom look nice. Stop trying to put our own glory on display. And in exchange of all of that, what it looks like to imitate Jesus is to behold the Father's glory and let yours melt away through the stream of repentance and faith. You see, the Word of God became flesh, and we beheld God, the Father's glory, as it was displayed in the Son. You know, the Bible, though, says that only those who had eyes to see saw the divine glory. You can go read Matthew 13, verse 13. Many did not see it. And we can read Matthew 16, verse 17. Only the Father can reveal His divine glory. The glory is full of grace and truth. You see, we become full of grace when we behold His glory. And what do we need? Among many things. But what do we need? We need God's grace. We need His unmerited favor, His unmerited attention, His unmerited gifts. But we become full of grace when we behold His glory. When we, by faith, trust and examine the weightiness of the Father. John 1, verse 16-18 says this, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Think about that. Sight, not sight. We can't be sight, but we're faith people. No one's ever seen the Father. We live by faith. Jesus comes as a man. He makes God known to us in His humanity. He is the author and perfecter of this faith, of this Father. But it says that we have all received grace upon grace. John is telling us that we saw His glory full of grace and truth. John, as the one who watched Jesus, as the one who, who interacted with Jesus, he, he, you see, he, we saw His glory full of grace and truth and that the fullness was overflowed to us in grace upon grace. That we beheld His glory full of grace. And in that, in that beholding, we received grace upon grace. You see, we are transformed when we become full of His grace. This grace, to quote John Piper here, this powerful, transforming, divine grace... This ability to change and to live like Jesus comes to us precisely through seeing the glory of the Son of God. Piper says this, Another way to say it is that the life-changing power of grace that comes to us from Christ's fullness comes along the beam, the ray, the glory that shines from Him into our hearts 
This is how Christ-exalting transformation happens. This is how true imitation of Jesus happens. We're not talking about legalism, not talking about self-righteousness. We're talking about this beholding of the glory of God in the Son, Jesus. And from this fullness, receiving grace upon grace upon grace. And Christ's exalting transformation happening. Living like Jesus begins to happen. You see, we, we, we want to like, give me the list of all the things that Jesus did and I can go do likewise, right? So Jesus treated certain people this way, other people this way, and he was always you know, joyful, so I need to be joyful, and, and so on and so forth. And we kind of just get this big list of how we're supposed to act, and we miss the point. We don't only miss the point, but it just doesn't happen anyways. We fail at it time after time and time again. But you see, this is, this is what it's about. It's about beholding the glory of the Father in the Son, Jesus. So as you're sitting around, I don't know what Christmas festivities you have left today, the rest of this week maybe. I mean, I know some of you celebrate, you know, you know like Hanukkah, you know, day after day after day after day. And uh, I mean, sometimes I feel like that. But, uh, <laughs> but as you're sitting around, as you're, as you're experiencing the giving of gifts and the receiving of gifts, what is, what glory are you beholding? As you think about life, as we think about just moving day after day after day, struggling with life. I mean, I don't know about you, but depression hits sometimes, sadness hits other times, and not that these Life sometimes feels like this kind of roller coaster. And Jesus, I'm sure, felt the ups and downs of this broken world. But what we do know is that through all of that, His faith never wavered. It never went up and down. His faith, His dependence and trust in the Father stayed as the author and the perfecter of this faith. And what was he having faith in? The gloriousness of his Father. The weightiness of his Father. The trustworthiness of his Father. See, this is how true imitation happens. Genuine imitation of Christ happens. It happens at the root. Your faith in the Father. See, faith in the Father is the key to beholding the glory of God and, subsequently, the imitation of Christ. Again, faith, what is it? Belief in something unseen. Faith that God is all that He has said He is. What is this? It's a reversal of the garden. It's a better place than the garden. Adam and Eve say what? They say, I don't know if God really meant what He said. I don't know if God really is who He says He is. What does Jesus say? No, God is everything He has says, said that He is. He is worthy of your faith. You see, the baby in a manger will show us what it looks like to have faith in something unseen and hope and what He has only heard of. 
And just like this baby, the supernatural work of God gives us eyes to see and hearts to savor. As Piper would say, the all-satisfying beauty of the glory of the grace of God. You see, when that happens, when, when that happens, when we, when God gives us by His Spirit the eyes to see and hearts to savor and be satisfied in the beauty of who the Father is, when that happens, our obsession with our own glory will be broken. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, right? so that's what's happening, with, with eyes that can now see, are now beholding the glory of the Lord, are what? Are being transformed into the what? The same image. The image of Jesus And he says what? From one degree of glory to another. Faith. Faith that in this little child born this day 2,000 years ago has shown us the Father. He has shown us the Father. He has shown us in the man Jesus because of his dependent faith in the Father. He shows us the Father's love His mercy, His justice, His kindness, His firmness, His gentleness, His joy, His peace. You know what gift we all need this Christmas? Every single one of us. We need a little clearer vision of the Father's glory. A little tighter grasp on the weightiness of our Father. A little less of us and a lot more of Him. Listen, may we forsake the beholding of our own glory today. That the hands of our hearts and the hands of our minds might make room to behold His glory. You see, the measure of your faith is akin to the measure to which you are captivated by His glory. I encourage you to, as we close this morning, to to pray, to, to think, to ask God to reveal more of Himself to you through the Word, by the power of the Spirit. I encourage you this morning that if your faith is whenever your faith is, and if you notice right now, is being placed in other things other than Jesus Christ, other than the blood of Him, and beholding the weightiness of God's existence, that you would repent. That repentance is not just seen as something that's bad, and that's what evil people do. So we're all evil people. We all struggle with sin. You see, repentance is a gift to those who have seen the weightiness of who God is. And in response to that, we repent for what we've done and we place our faith in the work of His Son, Jesus. The one who earned our righteousness. The one who showed the correct measure of faith. The one who who exemplifies for us what does faith look like. (laughs) Amen? 
Amen. Oh, goodness. Let's pray, and uh, we'll be done. We'll, be, uh, we'll sing together, and, um, and uh, let, me, let me close with this thought. Um, is it a joy, all of us in here together, kids included? Let me end with this story. Uh, I was informed before service that what I used to do when I was a little kid, uh, when my grandpa was preaching, is I would get up and walk and go get on the stage. And that this morning was going to be uh, um, the return of that favor to my grandpa. So thank you, Aurora, for that gift, my dear. <laughs> yes, there we go. We got the shout out. Let's pray. Let's sing together. Uh, let's behold his glory together as a church. Father, we give you praise. Thank you so much. Let us be people who behold your glory and, and therefore go tell it to the world. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us. To rescue us from, from what? From the all dissatisfying beholding of our own glory. And rescuing us to forsake that, to repent of that, and to behold your glory, Father. That you are more than you have even said you are to us. But certainly... Everything that you have said you are to us, you are. And Father, we can live by faith. And because you are everything that you have said you are, Father, you have also said that you are merciful. And that you have sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So when we think about Christmas, maybe we not just, not just see a manger not just see a cradle, but that we would see a future crucified Savior. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We love you. Amen.